Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. I felt really peaceful this morning. And I don't think it's that turkey. I think it's the Lord. Um, happy belated Thanksgiving, everyone. I, uh, I wanna, I'm going to pray for us again. Um, so, Father, I just thank you for this morning, this afternoon. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come reveal. Come reveal, your, come reveal Jesus to our hearts afresh. Come reveal the Father. Come reveal yourself. God, we ask for more revelation of you this afternoon. We ask for more understanding. Father, make our hearts tender and expectant. I thank you, Lord, that you are speaking. I thank you, Lord, that you are near. I thank you that you're here. Prepare our hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be sharing this morning, uh, my sermon title is called, The God Who Reveals Himself. The God Who Reveals Himself. The God Who Reveals Himself. It's a part of God's very essence is to reveal himself. It's, it's his very nature to reveal. And, and I think it's, it's so important that we center our mind and heart on this reality. There are many things in our life, experiences, that tell us differently. That tell us that God maybe is distant or wanting to hide from us. And certainly he does hide. There are things he hides. And you can see that in scripture. There are hidden truths. There are things that God chooses to conceal. But how many of you know anything that's concealed is so that it will be revealed? When I tell my kids, let's play hide-and-go-seek, I don't hide so they can't find me. <laughs> That's no good. <laughs> That's called being a bad parent. <laughs> and if you did that, shame on you. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But, but seriously, like, that's the heart of God is to, he will conceal certain things only so they can be found. And so his desire is to reveal himself to us. And, his, and everything we see in the scriptures is pointing to this. Everything God does has this component of I want to reveal myself to my people. And so when you view scripture with that lens and you see those things, you think, my gosh, maybe this isn't just for the scriptures. Maybe this is the God that I experience on the daily. Maybe he doesn't want to just hide from me. Maybe he wants to reveal himself to me. Now, I'm trying to get this concept into the hearts of my children. And my daughter, Fern, is seven years old now. She's asking a lot of tough questions because she's super smart. And she's also kind of intellectually expanding, right? And so she'll come and she'll say, like, well, you know, I, I don't know if I have faith. Like, I, I don't know if God is who you say he is. How about we pray and ask God to do something right now? right in this place, and, he, and God, would you reveal yourself to me right now so that I can have confidence in who you are moving forward with my life? She kind of talks like an adult. Um, and so they're like, okay, Fern, like, I, I hear what you want, 
and know that's the desire of every adult as well, if we're truthful. God, just reveal yourself right now. Give it to me the way I want it. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to touch you right now, and then we're good. But I said, God doesn't work like that, Fern. Like, he, he's not just going to come on your whim, on, on your, what, what, as you demand him to come. And so, so anyway, it's been this process of trying to grow her in understanding the Lord, but also temper her expectations and her wanting to control and have God do the things she wants to do when she wants it to be done, right? And if we're honest, we're all like Fern in that way. We're all like that seven-year-old girl. We want it the way we want it, and we want clarity, and we want it now. And so in that process, she's gotten a little smarter, and she's like, you know what? I'm going to pray and ask God to do something impossible. And then we'll know if it's really God or not. And I'm like, man, I shouldn't let you watch Miracle 34th Street, should I? Now you've got, although she turns out good at the end. But she's, she's like, let's pray for something impossible. So it's funny, like we actually did that was a few weeks ago. We prayed for somebody at the church who was sick. I don't even remember who it was. She was like, God, if you're real, heal that person tomorrow. And so I text them the next morning, like, how are you feeling? Are you okay? I'm healed. They're like, I'm great. And I'm like, see, Fern, he is real. But how many of you know that didn't satisfy either? Because <laughs> you want more. We need more confirmation. We need more. We need more. And, and so while that can metastasize in a, in a negative way at times, that desire is precious and good, and I want to cultivate that. Because how many of you know it's okay to ask God questions? It's okay to hunger for more of him. And in fact, we want to be open to those questions because those who seek do find. And those who ask the door is open. And, and, and so I want to cultivate that and not squash that. But at the same time, God doesn't operate in the way she wants or that you and I want. All right? So he doesn't operate that way. But, but here's one thing we can be sure of. He wants to reveal himself to you and to me. That is what he wants to do. How he does that is up to him. You know, if you look through the scriptures, you see so many storylines of people that are in, they're in a place of doubt, they're in a place of frustration, they're reaching out, they're trying to touch God, find God, and then there's always like this kind of waiting period or this moment of tension, right? There's any good storyline, and then they get the revelation, and then, and then it comes through. But, but I find often, you and I, kind of like a way to describe it would be, we are, it's almost like we're in a dark room, right? And where people have described this experience they have with God, where they're almost like in this dark room, and they got their hands out, and they're reaching for him, and like, oh, there's his ear, there's his face, maybe, I think that's him, there's this level of mystery and separation between them and the Lord, and, and it, we can get comfortable in that space. We can get comfortable just thinking, well, I guess there's just going to be this mystery. I'm not going to actually have the revelation of who he is. I'm just going to hang in there till one day I get to see God in all his glory and the fullness of who he is. But for now, I'll wait in this dark room and kind of know he's over there, hope he's over there, but that'll be my experience. My friends, that's not the gospel. The gospel is God comes to you and the light of Christ comes to you and the face of God is revealed in the face of Jesus for you. There's still mystery, but there's clarity. There's still things that we won't understand, but there is connection and encounter and, and, and life now. There's no life in a dark room waiting on God to engage with God in the future. 
But in the light of Christ, we can see and engage with the living God. Now, even while we wait, because there is a fullness that we won't touch in this life. That's true. But there's a lot more light in that room than I think some of us recognize. And some of you, you're, you are just starting to taste the goodness of God. And I want to say, get ready, because the, the light is going to keep increasing in that room. At least you know you're in the room with God before you didn't even know he was in there. <laughs> now you know he's there. And I believe you'll encounter him more and more. And I believe today some of you will get revelation knowledge of who he is in such a way that more and more the light of who he is will become, who he is will become a lot more noticeable to you, a lot more engaging, a lot more accessible to you. And I really mean that. I really believe we're coming into more revelation of him. And that's the prayer. That's our prayer in this church. We pray, we pray this scripture so often. Uh, Ephesians 1, 16 through 18, we pray this so often. And it's, it's critical to, to pray. Um, here's what it says. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. This is Paul praying. Remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what? So you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Asking God, we want to know you. Asking God, we want wisdom and revelation of who you are. I hope you feel provoked through the worship today to ask for more, to ask for more. But the key thing I want to highlight, if you want more revelation of God, it's not just about asking. It's knowing the God you're actually asking. It's knowing who he really is. And so often we think to get revelation, you have to ask and pull and pray this prayer over and over and over again. And then if you ask enough, then maybe he'll give you what you're asking. There's a, there's a reality in, one, in, in asking. But the truth is God himself is the initiator of revelation. Not you and not me. He initiates and I want to read this from you. I want to read Isaiah 65. Just because we can get in this mindset, especially in the West, where we think it's up to us to draw out who God is. He's hiding. And if we ask and we push and we pray and we contend, we pray Ephesians 1.16, then he'll be revealed. That is not how it works. You have a God who initiates revelation to you and you don't have to work for it. And you don't have to pursue it. You should, but you don't have to. Turn to Isaiah 65, verse 1. Isaiah 65, verse 1. Starting of, here's what it says. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. And I said, here am I here am I. Some of you are laughing and you, you get that because that was you. You didn't come into the kingdom by your initiation. He came after you. And some of us, we know that in the beginning, but then after the, as the years go by, we think, we get this idea that 
our efforts are what really open the hinge to our salvation storyline. And that can be, that's the quickest way to hinder your growth in God. Because there's no humility in that. And, and, there's, and there's no ability to actually go to the source of life, the source of revelation, which is God himself. And there's a pride that can get in us that thinks, I just, if I just do more, he'll give me everything I need. Instead of, he actually wants to pour himself out more than you want him to pour himself out. We're praying Ephesians 1 because it's the desire of his heart. Not to unlock something, but to engage, because we're consumed with the heart of God. And so we pray his heart, and guess what? He delivers, because that was his heart in, to begin with. <laughs> That's what he wanted to begin with. So it's a, it, it seems, it's, it's a major shift in how we pray. We're a house of prayer here. Prayer is so central to who we are. We, we have to pray knowing we're praying his heart, not praying our, thinking we're praying our heart to move God. We're praying his heart and he will move. It's very different. We're not twisting God's arm. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. Here's what it says. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. A pretty powerful verse. Actually, it's quote, he's quoting, Paul's quoting Isaiah 64, 4. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, what human mind has conceived, the things God's prepared for those who love him. Wow. But then look at verse 10. This is the New Testament reality we have in Jesus. Verse 10 says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Verse 12, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, there's clarity there's understanding. There's light in the room. We're not walking in darkness. We're not walking unclear of who God is. There is light that has come. And it says the spirit is the thing that searches out the deep parts of God and reveals it to you and me. That should make us very hungry for more of God. That should make us very expectant that what we know now is just minuscule to what we can know in God and that we shouldn't try to wait and to get it one day, we should ask for it, desire it now. See, the revelation of who God is, that's what real revelation is. Revelation is not just a download or a strategy. Like, we use that word so loosely. We're like, I got a revelation yesterday, and now I'm going to save Toys R Us, the toy company that's faltering. No, they already died. They're already dead. You couldn't save them. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, we, 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 we equate revelation with certain downloads and information. But revelation is its own separate, and it's the knowledge of the living God. It's very, it's very pure, and it's very precious, and it should not be mixed with, like, prophetic downloads. Those are great, but that's not the revelation of who God is. The revelation of who God is is the thing that we all should desire with everything that we have. It's the most precious thing in the world, to know God, to, to know his heart. That's what we're after. That's what this church is after. That, if you're here, I hope that's what you're after because that's what we're going after. We want to know him. So for myself, I personally, I grew up um, 
in the church, but not, I didn't know God. I, I grew up knowing an institution, knowing morality, knowing kind of the rules of morality as given in the Bible, but I didn't know God. I had no idea who he was. <laughs> now, one day, I go, to this, I go to this camp, and I'm 18 years old. I'm a high schooler. And a, and a man stands up and shares, gives a proclamation of the word of God, shares that Jesus Christ died for my sins, shares that Jesus Christ not only died, but he was raised again, that I might be raised with Christ, that I can have a new life, and that if I give my life wholly to the Lord, I will be not only saved, but renewed and restored and engaged with the living God every day of my life. I never heard that. At least it never reached my ears until that moment when I was 18 years old. But at the proclamation of that word, revelation, the knowledge of who God is, invaded my heart. And I remember it because it was unlike anything I'd ever tasted before. And I remember outside, I know the exact spot I was on this campground, like saying, God, oh my gosh, you're real. And the knowledge of you is now doing something on the inside of me. And so proclamation brings revelation. Proclamation of the word brings revelation. But how many know after that point, then there was other revelation that I need? How many know you guys, all of us in the room today, we need fresh revelation today about who God is. We need it right now. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you've experienced in God. You need more today to do the things, to live the life God's called you to be, to live in communion and fellowship with him. Let's even forget about the ministry stuff. Let's just... Talk about the relationship. I need more of God, and so do you. And so I left this place with revelation, but guess what? The next day, I, had, I got a Bible, and I was reading it, and wow, revelation. The scripture is full of revelation, and the Holy Spirit began illuminating things to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this God who I encountered in this moment, he, he's speaking to me through this word by the Holy Spirit. Of course, I didn't know that then, but I began to get more and more revelation. I got plugged into a community of believers, and they began to love on me. They began to show me what, what God looks like, what, what, what love feels like, what intimacy looks like. And all those things were revelation of who God is and, what, and the relationship he wanted to have with me. I'm getting it in the context of physical people on the earth, the family of God. And so as I'm growing in all these things, it's like, it's like a fire hose of revelation, and it's coming in different, in different places. I'm getting experiences. I'm having angelic, weird stuff happen to me. Woo! Like, whoa, what is this? Like, I thought that stuff in the scripture was just to talk about and teach about it. No, it was to experience. And so all these things are happening to me. But how many know I need all of that? We need, we need revelation from God in all the facets, in all the capacities that it's available to us. And so I want, I want to be more desperate for that. And I want to describe a bit today about different types of revelation, um, di different ways that God can speak and shape us be because we need all of it, all right? We need all the types. So I've been reading this book on, on um, it's a systematic theology book. It's called Evangelical Theology by this guy, Michael Bird. And in it, he talks about different types of revelation. He comes up with three different types that he expresses. Um, the first one, it's really interesting, natural revelation, all right? Natural revelation. It's the disclosure of the existence of God inferred from nature and through human institutions, okay? So how many of you know when you, I grew up in the woods, by the way. You probably can't hear it, but I grew up in the woods. And so I even as a kid, I, had, I, I did have an understanding of the existence of God. Like I didn't know him. I knew he existed. 
when you, when you encounter creation, Romans says, I'll read it to you. Romans talks about even the creation itself points to the invisible qualities of God. I'll read it. Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been what? Clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And here's the hard part. So that people are without excuse. That's a heavy verse. But what it tells you is nature itself communicates who God is. It communicates the existence of God. But how many of you know somebody that got saved by looking at a plant or a tree? Does anybody know somebody? Well, I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> Maybe they got, I'll tell you, that, that burst my bubble, but it really took away my point. Nature, nature can give you understanding of the existence of God, but I propose that it can't lead you into full salvation of God. Because it doesn't express who Jesus really is. It illuminates your mind to think, oh, he's, he could be real. God could be real. But then you come into that understanding when you actually encounter God through the scriptures, through the word. You actually encounter the living Christ. So, so natural revelation is pretty amazing. But it's not enough. It's not enough. And how many you know people, they love natural revelation. And they're trying to find God in nature and they're coming up with some wacky conclusions. And guess what? They're going to end up disappointed. And they're going to end up coming to you and saying, tell me about your God. Because I don't have any satisfaction in my life doing all these, all these um, you know, meditation retreats and staring at lilies all day. Like, <laughs> the lilies are amazing, but you need to go to the creator of the lilies. That's what they're supposed to lead you to. Even Tammy's friends still had to come to the, the creator of the lilies. See how I put that back in there? <laughs> but I'm not downplaying natural revelation. It's one of the three. I'm just saying it needs to lead you into a encounter with the living God. Because we've got people, they're so hungry for revelation, they'll settle with the plants and the animals. They will. Because they're that, it's actually quite sad, they're that desperate. And how much more important it is that we share with them the living God. Because they're settling down here. My gosh, you give them the real God, and they're satisfied just with the beauty of nature? I'll give you the creator. I'll give you the one that painted the whole sunset. I mean, there are, there are some hungry people out there, and they need the word of truth. We need to proclaim to them. Um, so, okay, so you got natural revelation. Check. Special revelation is the next section that Michael Bird talks about. Special revelation, all right? Special revelation is the revelation you and I really need. And it's got a couple components here. It's revelation of God through history. It's an interesting. If history is not true, if Jesus did not die on a cross and was not raised from the dead, if that, it's not a historical fact, then our faith is futile. Then we are here, we are to be pitied, as Paul would say, of all the people on the earth. Because we're here spending hours worshiping Jesus. But if he wasn't, if he wasn't crucified and raised, we're wasting our time. History matters, and history reveals who God is. I mean, even look at church history, you can see a quite a bit of storylines of who God is. So biblical history, church his history, it reveals who God is. Next, we have scriptures, which is a more obvious one. Scripture is the revelation of who God is. What is interesting to me about scripture is scripture is not just a bunch of nice stories that people told about God. 
They are stories about God. They are real accounts of God. But why are they in the Bible? They're in the Bible because God initiated this revelation to you and me. And he said to these men, he said, write this stuff down, and, I, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. I'm going to inspire you to write the words that I want to be told so that you and I can carry this thing around. And we just carry it around, and we just think, oh, this is cool. Like, we got our Bible. You are carrying God-inspired words from God himself given to a man to write directly on a paper. Now, there's interpreters, and there's all sorts of or translators, right? There's other things that have taken place from this word. But this word is so reliable and so pure. It is inspired by God himself. And so we got to recognize what we're holding when we talk about the revelation of the scriptures. Secondly, doctrine. Doctrine's a part of special revelation. The Trinity is not expressed in the scriptures, yet we have doctrine that reveals a part of who God is that is found in scriptures that men have revealed over time. Men and women studying the, studying the scriptures said, oh my gosh, there is a triune God. I can see it in the text, and it's discovered through doctrine. This is the one we all love and we pray it all the time, experience. How many people want an experience with God today? <laughs> I mean, yes. I don't know how some people don't think this is a legit form of revelation because the whole Bible is composed of experiences with God. The, the, the Bible that we trust is all about people experiencing the living God. And so thus, we want more of that. We pray for more of that in our lives. We want an encounter. We, the Holy Spirit also takes the scriptures and illuminates it to us. So one experience you can even have is just reading the text. The Spirit of God highlights a text gives it meaning in your life, helps you apply it into the details of your life that text could not possibly be able to reach into the 21st century, but it does by the Spirit of God illuminating your soul and feeding it to you. I mean, this, all these are facets of the revelation, the knowledge of God that you and I get to take in as we live on this earth. And I'll tell you what, I want every single one. I want it all. I don't just want the scriptures. I don't just want encounter. God made revelation for us to eat in all different capacities. I want the full meal. I want the five-course meal. And I want to come, I believe we're creating a company here that is so hungry that we won't settle just for encounter. We won't settle just for the word. We won't settle just for the, we, we'll want, we want all of it. I think that's so critical in this hour to grow healthy and strong and mature so we can stand the tests that are coming. So that there will be tests coming, but when we're just getting filled with the revelation of who God is, bring it, bring it on. Like, I'm so rooted, I'm so confident in who God is, I don't care. Like, like I do, I care about the world, okay? I care about that. But I, once again, I count all things loss compared with the knowledge of knowing him. I count it all loss. This is the last one, special revelation. This is the key one. Proclamation of the word brings special revelation. When I was an 18-year-old kid, I had a proclamation of the word of God, and that put revelation deep in my soul. I believe there's some of us in the church today, we are wanting more revelation, but we're looking for encounter, we're looking for scriptures, we're looking for these other things, and we think those things are the revelation we need, but God wants to pour out in different ways. And for some of you, he wants to pour out by you proclaiming the word of God. You want an encounter with God? Proclaim his word. And watch him come on you to deliver that message to whoever you're standing in front of. And all of a sudden, the message for them is a message for you. <laughs> Whoa, like, what was that? That was the spirit of God coming on you to deliver the word of God to save a soul. And guess what? You got saved again. Not really, but you got touched. You got transformed. 
Because he came on you because he loves to reveal himself to other people. See how that works? It's so good. All right. So number one, natural revelation. Two, special revelation. And the last one, Christological revelation. Christological revelation. It's just a simple way of saying revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It's a part of special revelation, but they pull it out in this book, and I think they should, because it's so potent. It's so, it it is the most precious revelation about God on planet earth, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. You know, 1 John says, the word of God became a book. It doesn't say that. It says, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Scriptures are really important, but they're pointing to the word of God, and the word of God is Christ. It's the word of God. So I can say that without downplaying a single scripture, but I can say it because the revelation of Jesus has no mediator. It's purely God on the earth revealing the Father in his perfect form. Jesus brings together humanity and divinity. He's perfectly God. He's fully man. He is the ultimate revelation of who God is on the earth. And we cannot put that aside. We cannot think that we can have revelation and understanding of God without the person of Jesus. He's the fullest, most important piece of revelation we have. Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 2 says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Jesus did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. We won't get the Old Testament without an understanding of Jesus Christ. To know him is to engage with the Old Testament actually more and not less. I'm not proposing we say, well, Jesus is the, the pure revelation, so let's not worry about all this other stuff. Hold up. Jesus said the Old Testament's the word of God. That's from Jesus. If Jesus believes the Old Testament is the word of God invaluable, boy, so should I. I better want to, I better want to, I want to understand all the Old Testament as well as the new, knowing Christ fulfills it. He doesn't negate it. He fulfills it. I think this is so important for us. I, I see sometimes we neglect the Old Testament, I think, because we recognize Jesus is just like this beautiful, pure form of revelation, knowledge of God. But it should draw us more to the Old Testament, not less, because he's revealing it. And I'm going to dig in some scriptures today that I think, I think will help that. You know, one analogy that I had that I thought was helpful for me, it's almost like the Old Testament you can tell I'm a dad because these analogies I pull out, it is a coloring book. It's like, it's like the lines of a coloring book. Like the Old Testament gives you some of the structure and the thought process and what God is doing, some of the narrative in it. And the New Testament is like the color that goes, that fills that page. And the New Testament's gonna add on a bit more lines, to be fair, if we're gonna make it a real analogy. But if you have the lines, if you have the, the black lines of that coloring page filled up by the Old Testament, Boy, the New Testament is so much more enjoyable. It's not just a bunch of colors thrown in there. They're beautiful, but now you see the picture, the tapestry that God's building. It's glorious. 
And it's the revelation we need through the word, through the son, Jesus Christ. Um, let's turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. I want to talk about Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment of that in Christ. The revelation knowledge of Jesus fulfilling the, test, the prophecy found in the Old Testament. How many know there are hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled? I forget exactly how many. It's hundreds. Hundreds. These are people writing hundreds of years ago, and Jesus comes on the earth and fulfills hundreds of prophecies in his life. Nobody ever came close. Isaiah chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has shined. Now, darkness is standard imagery in the Old Testament for oppression. And what you have going on here is the people of Israel, the northern tribe is about to be, is about to be humbled and they're about to be taken into slavery by the Assyrians. The light is the imagery for royal relief from oppression. So Isaiah is talking about the Assyrian deportation, but in his message of that humbling, he's putting in these messages of hope, that there's light that's coming. There's a, there's a future hope that he's prophesying about. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And if you keep reading, I'm just going to jump down Isaiah 9, verse 6. So just a little further down the chapter, we get into this prophetic, this messianic prophecy. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So just as the people were going to be brought out of physical slavery by the Assyrians and taken back, to their homeland in Israel. So there is a coming messianic king in the line of David who is gonna take people from spiritual slavery and bring them into freedom. Isaiah is making this connection right now to a people that are about to be enslaved. This is 700 years before Christ. This is 8 BC, 8th century. All right, skipping ahead. Matthew 4, verse 12. I just want you to catch the magnitude of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 4. And the only way to catch it is to know what he's referencing in the Old Testament. Matthew 4, starting at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went to Capernaum, which was the lake in the area of Zebulun and Natali, to fulfill, there you go, there's that word, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And it repeats what I just read to you. Verse 17. 
From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is referencing that light coming in, and he's saying, it's a bold statement, I am that light. I am the Davidic king that you've been waiting for for 700 years. It's me. I'm coming to shine light, to bring clarity, to illuminate the hearts of men, to reveal the Father. It's me. I'm the hope of the nations that you're waiting for. It's a massive, massive statement. Now, I love the big picture. I love the 360 or the high-level views of what God's saying. But how many of you know God, he proclaimed who he was in a macro way, right? And he was, he's restoring things on a large level, but he came for individuals. It's beautiful. He's doing the big restorative work, but he engages with you and with me and with the very people in scripture. And I love, if, been, if you watch any of the Chosen series, I love how it depicts like the individuals that Jesus touched, like their actual storylines. These are real people. And it makes assumptions about maybe, you know, how things could have been, but it brings you in to their story and it shows you, wow, like this is not just this God who's like doing these like things that are just, you know, high, high-minded theology. He's engaging with individuals and he's shifting their entire lives. And so it makes you think more about the person that Jesus is engaged with. So while he's restoring all things, he's bringing light to all things, he's going to individual people. So I've been looking through different ways that Jesus revealed himself to various people in, in the scriptures. And I want to focus today on the Samaritan woman. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 4, starting in verse 9. The Samaritan woman. Now what, what I love about the Samaritan woman, some people call her the woman at the well, is it says in verse 4 of that chapter that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go. Now, if you study some like how, you know, the, the pathways at the time, how people would travel, normally Jew, Jews would not pass through Samaria. That's not a place they had to go. <laughs> this is an assignment from the Lord, from, from the Lord to Jesus to pursue this woman in the specific place that she was. So what it means is she actually, he actually knew that she was at this well in this town, at the very hour he came and found her. <laughs> I mean, that is a profound, wild thing. The God of the universe knows where this woman is and where she's going to be, and he goes out of his way to go to the very place where he can encounter her. He knows your address. He knows the details of your life. And he's willing to engage with you no matter what your background, no matter where you're at. Because this woman, I'll get into her story, she was the last person you would think Jesus would reveal himself to. She had no credentials. In fact, she had a lot of things going against her. John chapter 4, starting at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said, so Jesus is at the, he's at the well waiting for her by himself. The Samaritan woman, she rolls up, and Samaritan woman says to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews no, do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, 
You have nothing to draw, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from, drank it from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. She's very practical. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, I used to do high school ministry, and whenever I would read this verse to them, they'd all go, I read about the woman at the well and the five husbands, I'd go, oh, like they thought Jesus was dropping this bomb on this woman, you know, like, like he was calling her out to like shame her and get her. Um, and so I was like, no, 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 you, you guys are high school kids. You don't understand the heart of Jesus here. And they said, no, that's what he's doing. He's calling her out. And I said, no, like, I'll prove it to you. Like, look... <laughs> Look how, he resp- look how she responds to him. If you want to see, if you want to put some tonality to it, look how she responds to what Jesus says. And she responds, she's impressed. She's not ashamed. And so how many of you know that, that phrasing, it had to be spoken with pure love? I mean, God is love, so I know that to be sure. But her response shows that it was spoken in love. And it was, how many of you know, it wasn't spoken to shame her, it was spoken to set her free. Jesus wanted to speak to the wound. He wanted to speak to the thing that had been hindering her, that had, that had been, you know, she's had five husbands and going through all these things and now live, now with her. He wanted to speak to it to bring healing and restoration. Say, I know you. I know all the details of your life. And guess what? I'm about to give you the biggest revelation on the planet that hardly anybody else has. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to entrust you with the revelation of who I am. This woman, disciples were like, they wouldn't they even want to talk to him. They're just like, what is he doing? Why is he talking to this woman? And we're not even going to approach him. They were, they were too scared to even, to even uh, question him on the matter. So we're going to keep reading. Verse 19. Sir, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So he's laying this revelation on her already, right? The revelation of who he is. Like, in fact, there's going to be a well of water that wells up inside of people, the coming of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be able to access God at any time you want. You're going to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's already giving this woman some insane revelations that we even now are unpacking and are amazed by, that nobody had any clue at that moment. But he saves the most profound revelation for the very end. And, and just got under, the magnitude of him telling this woman who he is, you can't underplay it. Like, He's revealing the essence of his life to this woman who has no qualification to receive this. So here's what he says. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, 
he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. Blows his cover. I am the Messiah. The light shining in the darkness. The one coming to restore all things. To bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. I am he. And he reveals who he he is to this woman. And the disciples come back and they're like, once again, they're like, what is going on? This is crazy. Why are you having these conversations with this woman? And, And but what you see is that God saw something in that woman that she and nobody else saw in her. And he was willing to reveal himself to her. I'm telling you this morning, this afternoon, he is willing to reveal things to you you don't think you should be privy to. There are many of us here he's entrusted with so much revelation already, and I believe there's so much more knowledge and understanding of his heart that he wants to pour out. And he'll, he'll pour it out on unexpected messengers. This woman is an unexpected messenger. I don't really think she's asking or pleading for God to reveal himself to her. But Jesus chooses her, and he gives her the most precious revelation. And she stewards it well. She stewards it real well. Worship team, could you guys come on up? So if you keep reading through John chapter 4 where we're at, the interesting thing is she immediately upon hearing who Jesus is runs back to her village and she goes and starts just blabbing everywhere about who God is saying, Jesus told me everything I've ever done. You got to come. You got to know this guy. And I can relate, when I got saved, when I was 18, the story I told you all earlier, I start going out, and I don't know a thing. Like, I don't, I, I have very minimal revelation of God, right? I've got, like, a moment on a hill, okay? <laughs> but I'm just telling anybody and everybody. And the crazy thing is, I'm going to these high school students. I was in high school. And they're listening. And they're responding. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. My co-leader at the time was like, I didn't even know you were saved, but people kept coming. I was like, that's concerning to me. You're concerning to me. Why, do you, why didn't you know I was saved? But my point is, he's raising up unexpected messengers. And some of you here, you have a word, and some of you are young in your faith, but you got a word that's going to draw way more people than you can possibly imagine. Way more people than you think you can handle or you can disciple. Thank God for the family of God here who can help disciple them. (laughs) But I'm telling you, there are unexpected messengers in this room. Some of you, you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're still an unexpected messenger because you don't even consider yourself an evangelist. But you're going to be doing lots of evangelistic things. I really believe that. People that consider themselves in other offices there's a, there's a calling right now for evangelism that is just so good that you don't have to be a skilled evangelist. You just have to have a testimony. You don't have to be articulate. 
You just have to be honest. You don't have to have the word of the Lord for every detail. You just have to go. So this woman, she goes out and she tells everybody what the Lord had done for her. And here's verse, four, verse 40. Um, I'll start at verse 40. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, so they're all coming to Jesus now, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two extra days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, I love this part, they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. The proclamation of the Word of God is so powerful. It's not about how you say it. I think it's just saying it. I think it's just pointing to the living God, pointing to Christ. And we'll be shocked at how people respond to our weak little testimonies. Some of you have really crazy testimonies. I've heard them. And everybody's like, yeah, you should share that. Because <laughs> it's obvious. And some, of you, and some of you don't even know you have power of testimonies. I'm like, are you serious? You need to share that. Um, but some of us don't have these crazy testimonies. But I think you'll be shocked when you share the taste of the goodness of God that you've experienced, just a drop of that testimony, dynamite. A drop. A little bitty drop. People are desperate. People are hungry. They're looking to the plants and animals. They're looking to themselves. You guys, in our city, there are so many people that are going on retreats trying to find God within themselves trying to find God through drugs and meditation. We have the living God burning in us. I just feel, this is a little different than the first service, I just feel like there is something on revealing God to other people this morning. Like, I'm like here saying like, God, I want you to reveal yourself to me. And we should all be praying that every day forever. <laughs> But there's something about him revealing himself through each of us all across the city. And it's so simple. I feel like there's some people here. Can everybody stand up for me, please? Um, we are going to close soon. Um, I feel like there's some people here. You're like, um, you're like the man who's born blind. And they brought him out before the Pharisees. They brought him out for the council. And they said, they, they, they challenged him. And they wanted him, you know, they, they wanted to use his story to come against Jesus. And he said, all I know is I was blind. And now I see. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> Some of you, that's going to be your testimony. They were like, oh, no, 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 there's, there's multiple gods. There's different ways to God, and there's all these things. And you're going to say, all I know is I was blind, and now I see. The Spirit of God 
is moving through this house in evangelism like we've never known. It's not that hard. Father, right now, we just break off just any, any fear in our hearts. Lord, I break off any fear in my own heart, Lord, that would cause me, would cause any of us to be quiet. Lord, we want to shout from the rooftops what you've done. Open our mouths, God. Lord, I thank you that the love of Jesus is inside of these people. <laughs> the love of Jesus is in our hearts, Lord, that we would not hide it. Hide it under a bushel? No, I want to let it shine. Yeah, Lord, that we would be even childlike. Childlike, Lord. Lord, I pray today that would you just remove the, um, the intellectual hurdles from sharing our faith. God, let us be childlike. Wow. And I really feel like even this morning, before, we, before I started preaching, people, were, you were actually getting encountered, and some of you got deposits during worship that you're going to be able to give out, even today. <laughs> so I thank you, Father. Just for your, that your spirit is here. I thank you, Lord, that you're freely giving out. Lord, that we would receive and freely give. Lord, make us receptors. Make us receptors of the revelation of your love. Of the revelation of who you are. Lord, that we would soak it up like a sponge. Yeah, I pray right now, Lord, soften our hearts afresh. Soften our hearts afresh to receive more revelation of who you are. Lord, break any pride in our hearts, Lord. Break any limiting thoughts, any fears. Fears of intimacy, fears of rejection, Lord. Thank you, Father. We worship you. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.